I'm Josh Boaz. I'm Matt Zucker. There are a lot of podcasts featuring top executives. But what about the next wave of leadership? The makers and the doers. The ones we're all going to work for. We wanted to meet them. Find out their story, how they got to where they are, and what they see coming for everyone. This is a spotlight on those on the way up. This is Rising. Today, we welcome Diego Norris. Diego is currently Chief Marketing Officer at Gimme Seaweed. He has over 20 years of experience in CPG marketing, working at food companies like General Mills, Nestle, Red Bull, and Campbell's. Diego also spent several years in consulting, first at Deloitte, where he started his career, and later at Profit, where we met and got to work together. Diego grew up in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and moved to the U.S. on his own at the age of 19 to pursue his dream of becoming a marketer. He now lives in San Rafael, California, with his wife and two kids. When not working or parenting, you can usually find Diego windsurfing, kite surfing, or wing foiling in the San Francisco Bay. Josh and I are excited to talk to Diego about his career choices, what he's learned, and what he can share with the rest of us. Hi, Diego. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on Rising. We're really excited. Maybe tell us about your beginning in consulting and then switching to client side and working in CPG. Yes, I'd love to. Um, so yeah, I joined Deloitte Consulting after graduating from the University of Colorado at Boulder. Uh, and I, I started as a business analyst and kind of focused on process re-engineering, a little bit like the Bobs from Office Space. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I would do things like that where I would interview people and what do you actually do? And um, But yeah, the, the great thing about it, it was just a incredibly valuable experience, right? It just gave me a very solid background in analytics, um, designing and building efficient business processes. Uh, and I get to use that all the time, right? Because I'm a bit of a builder uh, right now when I have to build functions and I've had to do that several times, whether that's in innovation and in product management or in marketing, I often have to build processes, make sure these things start running on their own, have a little engines of content or, or whatever it is that they need to operate efficiently. But more importantly, I think the best part of it was really getting a chance to work and learn with uh, some of the smartest people I've ever met. And these are people that, uh, you know, much, much smarter than me. And it just completely changed my perspective of what was possible for me, right, in terms of my personal and career goals. Nice. And then so how did that lead to client side? Well, I think what I realized, um, I've always kind of had my eye on on marketing. And when I graduated from the University of Colorado at Boulder, um, what I realized is really you can't really get into consumer packaged goods marketing without an MBA. So consulting became kind of the fastest route to getting into a top MBA program. Um, but, but the goal was always there. And so I got accepted into the Kellogg School of Management to get my MBA and emerged, transformed from a manager, management consultant into a brand marketer. I think it's a, <laughs> this is cool. it's a phenomenal way to reinvent yourself. And, and I certainly took advantage of that. And in your intro, it said that you, when you moved to the U.S., you had this vision of becoming a marketer one day. Was, is that true that you really follow this path, you know, uh, pretty intentionally? Yeah, I did. Um, you know, it, it really all started, I'm going to go way back in time, but at some point when I was in high school, I got a chance to attend uh, what was a kind of two-day internship at PepsiCo Argentina for high school students. And that's where I kind of got, I first heard about consumer packaged goods marketing uh, for the first time in my life. And I was hooked. And this was, you know, the, the, the years of the, uh, 
of the cola wars, right? So we had PepsiCo at its best with getting involved in concerts and and just really on the cutting edge of lifestyle marketing. Uh, so from that point on, I really just had decided in my mind, this is what I wanted to do. But universities in Argentina didn't even offer marketing majors back then. So then the seed was planted in my head that I would move to the U.S. to, to study marketing. And uh, I think, you know, my parents were probably a little bit skeptical at the time. I'm sure they were thinking there's no way he's going to do this. But much to their horror, I, by the time I was a senior in high school, I was still dead set on making this happen. And so at some point, you know, one day I just uh, bought a plane ticket at the cheapest airline I could find, which was a Bolivian airline, and <laughs> made it to the U.S. Nice. <laughs> and had you decide what, um, what brands or companies you, you wanted to work for? Was it about the brand or was it just being in CPG or was it the challenge of the situation? How did you make these different choices at like Nestle and Campbell's and at Red Bull and General Mills? You know, it was a great question. I think I was looking and, and, and always kind of gravitated to the big CPG companies. I think mostly just because of my experience with PepsiCo back in Argentina. And and I, I think I always kind of, that was that was the goal, right? From, from a very early age. Um, the interesting thing is that when I was, um, when I was at Deloitte, I actually had tried to apply to some of these companies and I nobody was, was calling me back, right? And I sent applications to all of them. And and um, after I got accepted into Kellogg, within one month of the program starting, I had internship offers at General Mills, Kraft, PepsiCo, and Nestle. Amazing. Uh, so I got a chance to pick, right, where to go. And, and so, you know, got to visit the campus, campuses of all these different companies and meet people. And, and that's how I chose eventually to go to General Mills. And did you think the, uh, you know, now in hindsight, did you think the experience you got at Kellogg did prepare you for that world? Or was it more just a kind of status symbol? Network? No, honestly, I, I think it was invaluable. Um, what happens is when you when you kind of get to work at large CPG, the way that these companies are, are structured, the way that they structure these these programs is that they you kind of get put on these rotations, right? And so uh, they're usually one year rotations, and they purposely move you from different from one business unit into another, and from one temperature state into another, and across multiple categories and channels. So you just get an incredible foundation uh, when it comes to CPG marketing. CPG is also kind of a big data industry, right? You have all, every time somebody buys a product, that product gets scanned and, and that scan captures the conditions under which it was sold, whether it was on sale, you know, it's just all kinds of useful information. So you get to understand the way that the business, you know, works at a very, at, at the building block level, right? And, and you get an incredibly robust foundation on which to build on later on. And I, I use it all the time. It was just uh, really useful for me to start that way. What do you think are the biggest skills you need? Like, I guess, advice for people coming into the industry. What do you think they they need skill-wise the most? Mm, it's a good question. I think in, in consumer packaged goods, um, people have to be generalists, right? Um, and this is a little different from what you see in other industries. So let me expand on that a little bit. A CPG marketer has to basically acts as a product manager, a marketer, a project manager, and in most cases also leads innovation. In the tech world, all of those are different jobs handled by different people. 
right? So you kind of have to be this, these, you know, the type of person that likes being uh, almost like a Swiss army knife, right? That, that has great breadth, but not necessarily depth. Later on, I think it, it becomes important to understand and be able to manage a P&L, because that's also something that, that you get to own in consumer packaged goods. That's not normally found in other marketing jobs. So it's almost like you, you get to act from a very early age, like a mini CEO of whatever brand that, that you happen to be working on. Um, and so really a, a multidisciplinary um, area of marketing that just touches on all kinds of different things. And so it just kind of helps to have a, a robust background and lots of different things. No matter where you come from, I think you can certainly tap on those skills. And I certainly found that working at Deloitte, for example, was a great way to, to get exposure to some of those areas that I then later relied on when I went into CPG. And when do you decide to move on within CPG? Like, I know you, the company moves you around, but when is it time to kind of try the next thing? Well, in my case, um, I actually happened to be recruited and worked for the same person on three different occasions. Um, so we're, we're going to talk about this person a little bit later on. But uh, so what was happening at the time is that um, I got, uh, you know, while I was working at Nestle, uh, another another marketer that also worked at Nestle then moved on to another company and carried, took me with her and then and then that happened a couple of other times. And each time she did it, she was, you know, creating a great opportunities for me, giving me more responsibility. And so that's that's why I moved from company to company to company. This is really just uh, because I just had a great working relationship with with this this wonderful marketer, Suzanne. Uh, and it was just a great partnership that we just kept taking to to other other places. We've actually heard that before from people. A few people have moved around following people, and you kind of like just like working with people, and you get into a vibe, and they create opportunities, and it's just it's a few people have brought that up. It's nice. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, you know, because like just from day one, the trust the trust is established. They know what you can do. Right, they they understand maybe the areas where you're not strongest in, so they can support you in those areas. And you know, in my case, uh, she kept kind of raising the bar. Right, it was, it was always bigger businesses with more responsibilities, larger titles, uh, more money as well. Right, so it just worked out really well, and I think I was able to advance quite a bit by doing that. And what about profit? I mean, in the middle of all these changes, you did come back to consulting. I mean, did you come back for the easy hours, the easy money? What was the drive, drive to go take a break from client side to go back to consulting? Well, I think, I mean, it was it was a number of things. That actually happened at a time where my wife and I decided to move from L.A. to the Bay Area. And we kind of did things a little bit backwards uh, with that move, because generally what you do is you look for a job and then, you know, you move close to wherever it is that your job takes you. Uh, this time around, we kind of did, we, we got into this thing called lifestyle design, which we basically said, hey, where do we want to live? And, and you know, what, what, what kind of life do we want? And we moved and then kind of basically looked for jobs um, once we were settled. Um, I happened to connect with a, a buddy of mine from, from business school, um, Brian Myers, and he strongly recommended Profit. I, I didn't know it at the time, right? But um, I had actually read many books by David Ocker, 
David Ocker, for those of you that don't know, I think he still serves as vice chairman of Profit. Yep. He's, he's the guy who quite literally wrote the book on modern branding. And, you know, he was to me like an idol. And uh, I actually, funny story, but every time I saw him in the office, I would go over and talk to him. He probably, um, I don't know if he's, I, I feel bad for him because he probably had this young guy, you know, talking to him every time. But, um, and, um, but yeah, I just, it was just such an amazing opportunity to get exposure into that world. And uh, I think I've always been someone that is um, a bit of a thinker. And so that's why I think I keep gravitating towards consulting because it just gives you this incredible opportunity to onboard, right, on a continuous basis. And you guys know better than anybody, but you get to absorb enormous amounts of data in a very short amount of time, interview people, conduct situation analysis, define business problems to be solved, formulate hypothesis, and then ultimately execute the solution, right? But the magic is that once you do this over and over and over again, against, you know, um, across countless industries, countless categories, and for companies that live and exist in very different business life stages, um, something really powerful happens, right? You, you kind of get this, you start connecting things in your brain and it's just a muscle that you develop, right? That ability to absorb information very rapidly and to very quickly understand what's happening. Um, and I keep going back to that, right? Because I find that that's something that I keep um, leveraging every, you know, almost in every situation, I find myself going back to that and uh, leveraging that skill. Wow. Great. That's great. Um, through your kind of later career stage, um, how did, and you know, as you were further out from business school, how did you keep yourself abreast of like new trends and how did you keep learning and develop? I'm assuming that challenges changed over time. Yeah, they certainly do. I mean, and, and never more so than right now. Right. Um, and, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that in a, in a minute, but I am uh, definitely a big believer in, in having a growth mindset. Um, I'm constantly learning, right? It's just really important to me. It's, it's a big part of who I am. Um, I, the type of person that kind of thrives in the struggle, right? Like I always uh, tell my kids, right? The, the, when you struggle, you learn, right? It's, you have to embrace that. You have to get in the game. You have to get in the arena. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. And yes, progress, right? Optimize, 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 optimize. Uh, that's something that my team very often hears me hears me talking about. Um, what's happening right now with the you know revolution in the AI is just nothing short of astounding. I don't think I've ever lived through a period of time that was more revolutionary than what we're living through right now. And the implications of what's happening at this very moment are probably unlike anything we're ever going to experience. Uh, and that goes for everybody. Um, it's, it's an incredibly exciting time. And I feel like probably in the past six months, I have learned more than in the previous six years combined, right? Just leaning into what's happening, going deep into the rabbit hole, understanding the implications, or at least trying to understand the implications, and just, you know, going along with the process, right? Because to some extent, I think the genie's out of the bottle and and, you know, I don't think we can stop it at this point. It's just it's just going to be it's going to continue evolving and impacting the things that we do and changing the way that we work. Um, so it's really, a, really an interesting time. Right. And, and, and more probably impactful than ever before. 
sure. Have you started using AI in your either day-to-day -day life or your work life at all? All the time, yeah, I use it daily. Um, there's countless applications. Uh, so what, what's happening um, today, I think it's just, it's just, we're starting to see the beginnings of it, right? But there's been um, a lot of these plugins that are now available that allow you to really combine different tools and, and, and it's just, they're coming out almost every day, almost daily something new comes out that, that completely changes the way we do things. And in some cases in quite dramatic ways. Um, so it's it's almost like trying to drink water out of a fire hose, right? It's it's uh, almost overwhelming. Uh, but I I have been leaning into it pretty heavily for at least the past six months, um, and it's just kind of really fascinating what what you can do with it and what it means from a marketing activation perspective. Uh, it's changing the game entirely, right? The types of results you can get, the types of um, how you can structure programs. Um, I think how we work from a marketing perspective is going to be dramatically different. And for our listeners' benefit, this is actually you, right? You're not using ChatGPT to answer this interview. Is that correct? Because I wouldn't know. As an AI model, I am not trained. To... <laughs> uh, it, is, it is me, yes. Okay. For now. For now. You want to tell us about your, your current position? Yeah. I'm currently the chief marketing officer at Gimme Seaweed. Gimme is the number one seaweed brand in the U.S. Uh, you guys familiar with seaweed snacks? Yep. Yes. I'm a big fan of Gimme Seaweed. So. Oh, awesome. I'm make sure to send you some. Uh, yeah, seaweed is just miraculous. It's like this incredible substrate. Um, it's uh, not only one of the most nutrient-dense vegetables on the planet, but it is also incredibly sustainable. Uh, so I just, I just love, I love everything that seaweed can do. It's just very versatile. And within your role of CMO, like what, where do you focus your time on? Like, how is it different from uh, kind of your previous positions? Well, seaweed is, um, or, or Gimme Seaweed is, is a rapidly growing company. Um, what we're focused on for the most part is expanding or, or growing household penetration. Seaweed is actually kind of in its early days when it comes to adoption. Right now, I believe only about 4% of U.S. households buy and consume seaweed. So there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of potential to, to tap into that. Uh, the company is uh, was founded by a husband and wife team, Steve and Annie Broad. This is the, the second business that they have built. Uh, first was uh, Annie Chance, which they successfully sold to a Korean giant, CJ Foods. Um, so they're amazing, right? They're just, uh, think how difficult it is to build a successful food business, right? Now imagine building two. Um, they're, they're amazing. So I just get to work with them, get to learn from them. Um, and they've built a phenomenal brand. I'm privileged, I think, to have the, the job of helping grow the brand and helping grow the business. Um, and, you know, we just get to to really peddle this amazing product, right? And it's just really promote the use in the U.S. And when you talked about as a CPG marketer, you get to also work in multiple areas that maybe in another organization you may not. So you get to cover innovation, brand. Do you also cover, like, what other other areas? Do you hit distribution? Do you hit servicing? Like, what is the remit of a CMO in CPG like yours, what's the area? 
Yeah, it's it's really diverse. So the things that are usually that usually come with a job, right? Are um, so we talked about marketing, uh, product management, innovation, and project management, right? Because like a lot of times, what you're doing is you're leading the cross-functional team through, let's say, the development of a product and the launch of a product or, or some or some other types of, spe of, of special project. At Gimme, I also uh, lead category management. Oh. Um, and that means it's basically, uh, you know, mining the data and developing the stories to grow the shelf set of the brand at the different accounts where we where we are sold, right? At the different customers where we sell our products. Um, and that has to do with, you know, just really understanding the impact of the different products you have, the mix of products that you have, which ones are incremental, which ones are not, how many facing shoes you have of each product on the shelf, just really to, to maximize the productivity of the category. Um, that's what category management's about. So it's really a not today sort of like, right? You you get to do all kinds of different things. And a lot of it is, you know, the types of things that we did at, at, at Profit, uh, Matt, like, you know, brand strategy and coming up with positioning and visual identities and creative expressions and things like that. And, and that is probably if you think of this as an old radio, that would be the tuning dial. And then the rest of it is marketing, right? Which is, if you still think about that old radio, that would be the volume dial, right? Once you get to the right frequency, then you get to dial up the volume. Um, so it's, it's that kind of combination of art and science that just makes this job really re rewarding and interesting. It's um, just fascinating just how many things you tap into on a daily basis, right? Whether it's, um, you know, coming up with those types of, of, of creative expressions or the pricing that you have to put on shelf or how many weeks you should be in promo or it's, it's just really not today, Sarah, like. Great. I had one, one more question on, um, you know, you mentioned uh, with Gimme Seaweed that it being nutritious and sustainable, was that a big part of your decision set to join the company? Like, does that kind of part of your your lifestyle design kind of phase? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's, uh, I, I'm a, I've always been looking at, um, I think, uh, the, the impact of things, right? I try to pay attention to that because the reality is that the food system as we know it is, is broken, right? I think it is broken. It has been broken for a long time. And, you know, we get to see that every day when you look at the impacts of climate change and, uh, what's happening, you know, we were just talking about fires in California. Um, those are all things that are basically consequences of us not being able to um, live sustainably, right? And whether that's happening at the macro level or the personal level, uh, the reality is that, that a lot of the ways in which we do things today, including how we produce food and, you know, how we consume goods is having an impact, right? Um, I think when, when I first heard about seaweed, what was really attractive to me is that seaweed, uh, you know, seaweed farming has a net positive impact on the environment. It is a, probably the ultimate regenerative crop. Hmm. Uh, seaweed doesn't need fresh water to grow. It doesn't need land. It doesn't need chemicals. But it actually helps deacidify the ocean, right, and basically support all of the communities, um, you know, other animal communities that feed off of the shavings of of seaweed farms. 
Um, so it's it's really kind of a unique thing. I you know don't think we can single-handedly solve the problem that we're living through today, but I do think that sea vegetables in its various forms have to be a part of the solution, right? Whatever that may end up being. But um, I do think we, we probably need to tap more into into these uh, these types of the you know this food source because it's just um, it's really unique. It's really astounding. One thing that's you may not know about, but you know, the seaweed variety we use to make our seaweed snacks is called red porphyra. And if you think of it on a gram for gram basis, red porphyra has more iron than spinach, more vitamin C than oranges, more vitamin A than carrots, more protein than eggs. Um, and it basically just, it's just something that um, it grows incredibly fast as well, right? It just um, really requires no inputs. So we need to kind of tap into more of that. I think that's that that got me really excited about it. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's really special. Very cool. Yeah, I'm hungry. <laughs> Low carbs, right? Low carbs. You get basically zero net carbs. Wow. Twenty five calories per serving. Um, so you really kind of you can actually let's say we're going through a moment of weakness at three p.m. What afternoon we can crush three four of these packs and you're still under a hundred calories. Yeah, that's why I used to keep in my snack ball was the seat. Yeah, it was too. I think I've run it. I'll get some more. Yeah, you feel much better than crushing a bag of chips after eating a couple of bags of seaweed. So true. So true. But, you know, you still get that little salty crunch. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Craving you get to scratch the itch. My kids only eat seaweed snacks, so they, they love it. Diego, anything else on your current job we haven't touched on or career track? One thing that, that might be of interest is uh, I've been kind of tapping into, and Josh, maybe this is more relevant uh, given your background, but I've been really leaning into um, how to maximize performance of digital programs um, by mining data, right? And so what makes this really challenging today is that um, there's an incredible amount of noise, right? When it comes to marketing today, there are point solutions that don't play well with each other. There's siloed and often inconsistent data, even the way that variables are defined, it's inconsistent from platform to platform. There are countless fake profits, whether they know it or not, and that's uh, not profit the, the agency, because <laughs> we're all real profits. There's, you know, countless well-intentioned, but often uninformed stakeholders. There's uh, even a lack of consensus about what metrics matter, right? And what metrics should move the needle. So what's been interesting to me is a, if, I, if I think about sort of my lifelong journey from a career perspective is that um, I find that there's a tremendous opportunity, right? So sort of the bad news is about everything I just described is that uh, all of this noise makes it really difficult to measure the true impact of marketing programs, right? But the great news is that all of this noise makes it very difficult to measure the true impact of marketing programs. And why do I say that? Because, uh, you know, if you're able to connect these different programs and establish comparability of data, 
then you can leverage data analytics to identify and exploit those you know, inefficiencies that exist in the digital marketing space. You can almost think of it a little bit like Moneyball, but applied to the world of marketing. Uh, that exists. It's very, uh, it, it's, it's almost everywhere that I see those opportunities. Um, and it's been really interesting to try to develop the algorithm, so to speak, right? To really exploit those inefficiencies and try to do it at scale. Um, so it's, it's, it, that's kind of been an interesting, uh, journey that I've been on for at least, you know, the past five years that have been kind of evolving this and, and, and tapping into it. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And, and I think for us, I mean, it's, we're starting to see like that AI could be, you know, will be, I think, a big part of the solution here because there's so many data streams coming in and it's like, how could you train, um, you know, your own models to help make sense of that and help connect some of the, connect some of the dots? Yes, 100%. I mean, you know, I'm already working on the automation of it, right? Still not AI driven, but, but that, that is very much possible. Now we just, of course, got to be careful for it not to go sentient and then we're all out of jobs, right? But you just take it to a certain point and stop it. We have time. Now it's time for thank you notes where we ask our guests to tell us about someone from their past that opened a door, gave them a piece of indelible advice that stays with them today. Diego, who do you want to thank? I think this is easy for me. Um, I don't even have to think about it. It would be Suzanne Ginestro. Uh, Suzanne currently serves as the chief marketing officer at Califia Farms. Uh, she hired me um, and served as my boss three times in my career. First at Red Bull, where she served as head of brand marketing. Then at Pinkberry, where she served as VP of brand marketing. And most recently at Campbell's, where she served as chief marketing and innovation officer at Campbell Fresh. What was cool about our collaborations is that each time, and I think I alluded to this a little bit earlier, but each time she provided me with challenging opportunities that allowed me to grow and develop as a marketer. What's cool about Suzanne too, is she is not just incredibly skilled, and trust me when I tell you, she is an absolute badass, right? Uh, but she's also deeply, deeply human. She's approachable, authentic, and has always been a staunch defender of, of her people and her team. Uh, I can honestly tell you, I don't think I would be where I am today were it not for Suzanne. So Suzanne, if you're ever listening to this, thank you for believing in me over and over again. You are awesome, and I love you. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you, Suzanne. She's amazing. So now it's time for uh, top picks, and this is where we recommend for our listeners maybe a book, a, li a life hack, an app, anything that we'd find that we think our listeners would find uh, interesting. Uh, so Diego, as our guest, you want to you want to kick us off? Yes. Um, so I think as I mentioned earlier, I've been uh, very deeply inspired and impacted by what's happening in the space of, of AI. Um, in case some of you don't know what's new in this space right now and developments are happening almost on a daily basis is that uh, OpenAI, who created ChatGPT, has been enabling um, these uh, plugins uh, in there. That list is expanding on a daily basis. So almost, you know, there, there's just at this point probably almost 100 different tools that you can connect to ChatGPT to do amazing things. One of those things that I've been kind of playing with is Midjourney. 
Um, not sure if have you guys heard about Midjourney. No. No. Midjourney is a um, is a design AI power design application um, that connects through Chat GPT through some of the plugins for prompts, and what it can do is that you can then uh, create the, the 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 commands in Chat GPT and then go into um, Discord, which is where you basically manage the Midjourney AI-powered app to create whatever image you want. But the ability to basically, or, or rather the quality of the images you can create is just amazing. You can basically create a command that says, I want a portrait of a, you know, good-looking um, African-American young adult with wearing a hat uh, in ultra HD, hyper-realistic with the light coming from the right and reflections on, on his skin. And I want a pair of headsets that are on his shoulder, you know, like on his, on his head. And I want him to be holding a, a you know, a, a slice of seaweed, a, a seaweed sheet on his hand. And, and it will create an image that you can literally plug into marketing execution. Uh, absolutely fascinating. It takes some getting used to, and it takes some um, practice to try to basically understand exactly how, how to say and what to say and, and the different commands that you can plug in. But you can even get down to the types of lenses you want the tool to, to basically simulate, right? Wow. So if you want a faded background or a close-up or you know anything like that, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. I expect that maybe within a short period of time, we won't have to do these incredibly expensive photo shoots anymore. So, fascinating. Very cool. Matt, any top picks? Mine's a little bit of a simpler app. Um, as, as you all may know, Rising is a highly produced, big-pocketed budget production backed by the resources of profit and direct agents with hundreds of people to do all the post-production work and distribution for us, too. My other podcast, City, it is a little more homegrown with a, with a one-person team and Nora the dog. So I'm always looking for apps to shortcut my workflows. And I just discovered um, Podviz, rss.com, just put this out, because YouTube is going to be doing podcasts, and they're going to start having RSS feeds, but right now they, they still don't, unless you're like a big brand. Um, so what Podviz does is it converts your audio file, like this recording, into a video. So then I could post it on my YouTube channel really simply too, and it does it for free. It just came out last week, so I've been playing with it, and it's really, it's really easy. So it's a good way to kill time until YouTube has proper podcast RSS feeds, like we all expect it will in the next few months. Very cool. Very cool. So mine actually, so I'll build on the theme of AI, but maybe not as, maybe not as a kind of hands-on keyboard as Diego's uh, example. Um, so one is, uh, this was actually one of my team members recommended this and I've been using it. It's uh, called uh, perplexity.ai. And it's basically a search engine, um, but I guess it has some kind of AI chatbot functionality built into it. So when you do a search, it kind of, it cuts down on the, the research you have to do. It actually just gets you to the answers and then gives you all the sources too. Right. So yeah. if you want to say, hey, what are you know, like what are marketing trends, uh, you know, we can look at in this part of the world for the you know next year, it'll just boom, give you the synopsis of sources, which is like what we we need, right? As professionals. Um, and whereas chatbots won't 
look forward and doesn't have access to current information for the most part this is connected to the internet so it's a uh, it's 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 been useful as a research tool so that's uh, perplexity.ai and the other one a little bit more fun and maybe most people have seen this if you spotify now they have a uh, an ai dj and it's just called dj and so when you look for playlist or like your list you can just add dj and then it kind of talks to you and it but what's it's pretty smart like i think it it basically is the chatbot version of their algorithm because it's like, hey, here's stuff you used to listen to. And hey, this is one you haven't, last year, you used to listen to this every day. And then, like, it kind of starts putting different things out. You can skip it if you don't like it. But it, oh, that's cool. it's pretty good at resurfacing stuff. So I got to imagine it's just like they slapped ChatGPT on top of the, uh, yeah, or some version of it on top of the uh, your their current algorithm. So it's pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, amazing. I don't think you can talk to it yet. I haven't tried you know, chatting to it, but. Uh, <laughs> Maybe you can win a contest, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's it's uh it's good, so cool. So it looks sounds like a lot of interesting uh, kind of tech related picks picks from us. Yeah, this will be good. We'll put the links in the show notes. Sounds awesome. Thank you, Diego, for coming on Rising. Where can people um, find you? And actually, more importantly, where can they find this high nutritious, dense, nutrient dense, gimme seaweed? Well, you can find gimme seaweed just about everywhere uh we're sold on you know target and amazon and kroger and safeway albertson soon costco soon walmart nice um yeah we have national distribution and encourage you to give it a try lots of delicious flavors to try the last uh two we launched which are uh incredibly popular are chili lime and non uh, dairy white cheddar yum and in terms of learning more about me, you can probably find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I do tend to post from time to time. Uh, and yeah, look forward to, to connecting if anybody out there wants to hear more about any of these things. Thanks, Diego. Great. Thank you, Diego. My pleasure. Thank you for your time.